What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host Adam Frommel. I am, however, pleased to be joined by regular guest, good friend, longtime colleague Grant Hughes. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. A quick note before we get started: an apology to anyone who downloaded the last podcast and only heard me coming out of the left ear. Uh, I was going solo because Adam had to cancel, and it turns out. My microphone on the program that I was using to record it, which I never used to record it, only records that particular microphone in stereo, which in turn only comes out of the left ear. So that will not happen again, but just apologies to the people that reached out and said that I was only coming out of your your left earphone. So apologies once again. Grant, how are you doing? Can you hear me coming out of both of your AirPods right now? Yeah, I just maybe wonder if you have a disproportionate percentage of your listenership that is has a right ear hearing trouble like are we sure that's not the problem one of my friends reached out and i i thought he was bonkers i was like did you check to see if your headphone was working but then i tried it (laughs) and it actually happened i was only coming out of the left ear so i blame adam because he had to get his second COVID shot and he wasn't feeling too well so he uh had to cancel so it's obviously his fault because if he were there this never i never would have used that program this never would have happened I would like to preemptively blame any bad takes that I'm about to have on Adam. Just if that's, if that's what we're going to do, I would like, I think he would, he would, he'd be okay with that. Yeah. And I think that goes without saying on the podcast that anything wrong is Adam Frommel's fault at Frommel zero nine. If you need to yell at him, I brought you on to do a really complicated topic. We're going to do some factor fiction. I know very highbrow stuff here. We were just talking though, that it's hard to discuss anything at this point when the games still matter, but like there's no ebb and flow to what's happening based on injuries, availability, what all these different teams are doing. And the awards discussion has been just talked about to no end, especially on the MVP front. And so I wanted to get a little bit topical or big picture as well. There were no holes bars on this, no limitations, and just go fact or fiction with statements. And I actually have one that I think might cut your soul a little bit. So I am ready. I was excited about this. You. Yeah, sorry. You you prefaced we were texting to set this up, and you did threaten to cut my soul. And so I tried to think about what it could possibly be. I have you. I'm gonna guess. No, I won't try to guess. I just want to hear it from you before, so I can just take the cut, you know, without per- getting ready. I do have to ask you first. Do you have any thoughts, opinions, musings on whatever the hell is going on in Indiana at the moment? I mean, just with respect to all the Bjorkren stuff. Did you see the clip of Goga going at, uh, was it oh, Greg Foster? Greg Foster the yeah, the, Greg Foster. Yeah, no, I didn't see that. I just read about it in amid all the Bjorkren stuff that's come out the last couple of days. Um, I guess, like, the overall takeaway is, and, and Jake Fisher for, for BR had, had some of this, of, like, how do you not talk to enough people that could have told you that the guy you're about to hire after like a search that involved 20 some odd candidates or something like that. How, how do you not talk to the right people that would have told you that you might be in for the type of toxic culture where stuff like this is going to happen at the end of a season? Like I, that's wild to me. I just, I don't, I want to know who they, yeah, I don't know. The thing that blew me away was reportedly the Pacers did not talk to TJ Warren who played for Bjorkren when he was an assistant with Phoenix. And then Warren supposedly requested a trade. Cause he's like, he couldn't play. I just was like, man, you got to at least talk to him. What happened? Who did they talk to? Right. And if they spoke with Nick nurse and he endorsed him, like there's some subterfuge going on here, right? He was trying to sabotage the Pacers well, from the outside. How are you? Was, <laughs> like, what, what would be the point of it? Because it, what would be the point of endorsing him when this was apparently known stuff uh, throughout the G League, throughout his past teams, dating back to Phoenix? 
how are you then this stuff was happening in toronto is my point apparently where he was acting that my favorite aside from the war one my favorite anecdote was like he had to be the vessel through which communication was run between players and the head coach they couldn't talk to to one another so that stuff was happening what what is nick was nick nurse like get him the fuck out of here or was he like you know they're in the east we don't know what's going to happen next year so i'm just going to sabotage them from afar i don't i don't get it so that's so so i this is why i feel like really naive now because when i read that part of like they talked to nurse a lot and nurse obviously i mean if i just assume that it's just like a it's an unwritten rule that like if one of your assistants is up for a head coaching job you just have to support him no matter what but the alternative is a little more plausible now seeing us seeing how badly it's gone like now like the next team that hires a nurse assistant and asks a nurse's opinion will just have to be like i don't know dude this last one didn't go so good i think maybe you're gonna need to be a little more, more forthright with us this time because i can't imagine what he would have said uh he clearly didn't say any of this stuff and so so yeah yeah, I don't know, man. This is this is wild. And just to to have this spiral so fast, like it just a year. Usually it takes a while for, you know, for whatever true colors to come out or for players to get sick of coaches like the Pacers got sick of McMillan, you know, the the, the players kind of tuned him out towards the end, but that took a while. This is like fast track. Yeah, and there's there's no way that he's going to be in Indiana next season, right? Like there's just none. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. This is and this is worse than the Igor Kokoshkov stuff in Phoenix, right? This definitely exceeds that. Oh, that's another one. Yeah, that's another one. That, yeah, because I don't. This feels like, I mean, it's almost like cartoonish. Some of the things that are being described with how he flies off the handle if like a ball rack is in the wrong place, or he, I mean, it's uh, it's it's wild. It's like it's like bad, you know, community college type coach stuff where he just like I, I don't know. I, I first of what I will say is I cannot wait for more stuff to come out because now when you get this kind of a couple of reports like this coming out, you know that there's going to be more because now the floodgates are open. And I need to know who he pissed off recently that that this came out now because there's no value add to the organization at this point. You're not going to get rid yeah. of him. The change is going to come over the off season, and even if you did get rid of him, I don't know know what it's going to do. So did something just happen? that triggered all of this yeah i don't know i'd be curious to to know like you know all of the comments that have just come out how how long the reporting goes back that sourced those you know like if this if some of the comments in like jake's piece for example or from two months ago or something like that and it, it, who knows it, it, we'll find out i think we're gonna the, the shit has hit the fan and now the fan is like just got flipped from medium to high so it's really gonna and it's, it's really spraying gonna spraying everywhere everyone is covered. i didn't want to get quite that deep into it i got halfway into that metaphor and decided i was gonna i was gonna back out but thanks for taking us home did you want me to start with the fact or fiction that i think will be gutting for you or do you want to finish with that i feel like we should start with no that. i would i want to start with it i'm curious now okay fact or fiction stephen curry is more likely to force his way out of Golden State than Damian Lillard is to do so with Portland. Fiction. Um, I thought you were going to have to think I about think... that a little more. This was obviously in reference no. to... I don't... Yeah. The, the Chris Haynes piece, which clearly wasn't like him... I know he has a relationship with Dame, but he clearly was not saying Dame said, like, F this, F that, all this happening. And then the Knicks, like... A, you know, Mark Berman of the Post like took it and ran with it. Oh, the Knicks would be interested in Damian Lillard. Well, obviously, <laughs> they and twenty eight other no teams shit. in the league. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, that's that's the reason why I was so quick to 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 say fiction because, like, one, I guess to to start with the Steph thing, I don't think it's impossible. Like that, he he could come to management and say, like, guys, we're stuck. Uh, I can't do any more than I'm doing. Um, you got a year to sort of, he wouldn't phrase it this way, but you got another, we got another year. And if, if this is the same result, if we're like, if I'm killing myself to make us 500, um, we got to work something out. Like that seems plausible to me, unlikely, but plausible. Um, but with, when a report like that comes out and I have the same thought too, Haynes has connections to Portland. Like he's been dialed in, plugged in there for a really long time. I think he started there like on the Blazers beat, maybe I could be wrong about that. Um, but 
that is the type of thing that comes out. You know the sourcing is Lillard or his camp um, because that's not coming from the Blazers, I don't think. So um, it seems like that is sort of what's the – that's just sort of paving the way for if the guy that has professed loyalty forever and by all accounts is loyal and Dame like is just unimpeachable. But like – now there's now there's like sort of we're easing into a scenario where like suddenly it wouldn't be this world altering shock if 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 Dame started to show up in like trade conversations or something like that or he angled he changed his stance a little bit on I'm gonna stay here forever like I think this was just the little nudge and it was very calculated so that's what makes it seem more likely to me um, but even that is still hard to imagine. I think they'll try to do like everything else first. Like McCollum would go, uh, Stotts obviously is getting fired. It seems like that writing is very much on the wall. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's like, it's, it would not surprise me at all if we're, if, if Dame was the next guy, you know, that suddenly became available that we didn't think ever would. I want to be spicy and say fact on my statement, but I think I agree with you. I do feel like you, and it's funny how we sort of flipped roles here because you were lower on the Warriors going into the season than I am. I feel like we might be underestimating the raging incompetence of Golden State's like powers that be. I don't think that they like. I know their flexibility was limited this past offseason, and you can't the clay injury is nobody's fault. At the same time, like their the roster around Steph felt like it was built without a rhyme or reason. Like even the the pieces on the margins. Like yes, I like the Brad Wanamaker acquisition at the time and he turned out to be like one of the worst players in basketball um during his stretch there yeah i the kelly Oubre jr thing was always questionable because it was another play finisher who didn't really space the floor so i he is curry is extension eligible this summer but he could enter free agency in 2022 i mean you throw the you you try and extend him he is worth whatever age 33 the fact he's playing at this level i don't i don't care and he's not the type of player to force his way out, and we have not seen this Dame-type story where where it's been, oh, it's not from Steph, but maybe it's from Steph. And the fact that he's mm-hmm. won three championships obviously helps here. But, like, if you are Steph, free agency is that close. You're at least entering the final year of your deal as the end of this season. You'll be talking about an extension, whatever. How do you not think about it? Because you have to look at this roster and say, we get Clay back. We still lack another shot creator. Like Clay has just never been that guy. Yeah. What does Clay look like coming off Achilles and ACL tears? I, I honestly, if Golden State gets the Timberwolves pick and like won't move it and James Wise move that player and James Wiseman for, I won't even say Bradley Beal, just whatever like higher profile name or names become available. I think that could be a tipping point. Or the other tipping point would be the Timberwolves keeping their pick, and then the Warriors have James Wiseman who. He's not damaged goods, but like, insofar as he has oh. a lot of trade value, you know, tearing your meniscus after not having the best rookie season and probably not being deployed in the best way for most of it, like, you're, what are you getting with James Wiseman as the centerpiece or the 2022 Wolves pick, which yes is unprotected, but the Wolves kind of sort of might not suck at that point when you're looking at Edwards, Cat, D'Lo, a healthy Malik Beasley, and then another high pick from this year, and so I'm just wondering, there has to be a limit to Curry's allegiance, right? There, there has to be. So this is something I flipped on over the course of the years. I was, I was, I defended the Wiseman pick. Um, I thought it was the right pick at the time. Um, just because to me, it seemed like he gave them the biggest lottery ticket towards like, this is the guy that as Steph winds down, he becomes our Anthony Davis. And like, we get a sort of Spurs Kawhi transition of power type of thing um, from the Duncan Ginobili Parker era. Uh, but Wiseman, like he just, he didn't have it. Like I, it's so early and it's so crazy to say all this stuff about a guy that, you know, three college games, blah, 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 stuck into a situation where like, th- this is the great failing of the season where the Warriors sort of tried to do both. They tried to develop him and they tried to win and they tried to like involve him in the winning and he just wasn't ready to do that. And it ruined his confidence. Um, he has major, like he can't catch the ball. He's totally lost on both ends. Um, so I don't see like superstardom in his future, which again, like it's ridiculous to say this, this early in his career, but if they don't trade him and this pick or the, whichever iteration of the Wolves pick they have, if they don't do that, I think it's a mistake. Like, I think even though 
I also don't know that there's a trade out there that puts them into the contender class. Like I don't like we've talked about this before. I don't know that Beal puts them in the contender class. Like, I'm skeptical about that. But if, <laughs> <laughs> but they got to do it now, right? Like there's fact that like there's no question they have to make that move. That like Steph is too good, and like you, the point you just raised of like the door will be open soon. So if you care about him staying, you have to the 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 trade has, Wiseman has to be moved, and that pick has to be part. Like that's just. It seems simple to me now. Um, ask me again in like three months, but that's how it looks to me right now. Would you do, and this is because if Dame isn't available and Bradley Beal isn't available, and I'm trying to think, would there be even another star that you could tab as the next one? I, Carl Anthony Towns feels at least a year away from that becoming a problem. Would you give up the pick and Wiseman for, and whatever other salary you need to? I think it gets weird because these two players, Wiseman and this year's pick, would make so much money, but it's not a ton of money. But, like, you can't attach Andrew Wiggins. But the framework would be Wiseman and the pick for Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner. Oh, man. Um, I wouldn't dismiss that out of hand. Um, I think that might be what it – so unless the next star, the next non-Dame star to sort of suddenly be – to take over Beal's spot and the guy we speculate over forever – um, I think that's like what they might have to settle for. And like, really they'd get, that would make them so much better. That <laughs> would be like that, that could make a huge difference. Cause you get, yeah, I like that trade a lot. I would think hard about that. I really would. But that, so you, but, so I guess what then you're saying, and I think I'm in agreement with you is that they're probably at the point where they need to settle for the non-star scenario incoming because Turner and Brogdon at their peak fringe all-stars. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you can't make the trade for the player that's not available. So like if you're stuck in a position where you've got to pull the trigger, you just sort of aim at whatever's in front of you. Like you can't conjure up a target that isn't, you know, so yeah, like that's, that's totally plausible that that's what they're stuck doing. Um, and yeah, it would suck if, you know, that pick it depends on where I would feel a lot better if that pick like was eighth or ninth or something, but if it was like four or five, then I would really hesitate. Cause I, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that's the type of thing they might have to be ready to settle for. Because um, you can't, I forget who I was talking to the other day, but like, oh, but Clay's going to be back. It's like, okay, uh, what's he going to look like? How, how like, how can how you even price him in as like a, yeah, I mean, like, is he a positive? I assume he's a positive player, but there's like no chance he's going to be an all-star, right? Like that's, I mean, he'll be better than Wiggins and Ubre, I guess, but like, I just, I don't know. I, you can't, you, that's like not an argument to me. It's like, oh, well, Clay will be back. So they have their second. No, nah, it's not. He's not, you can't, pri- you can't count on him as a second star. Even the version, even pre-injury Clay, I don't know if he alone would have made the Warriors contenders. Definitely would have brought them closer, but just what this team needs, th- their offense craters by almost 16 points per 100 possessions without Stephen Curry. And Steph is like only lifting them up to a league average offense when he's on the court. It's not like they're, lights out and then they're dropping down to league average without him it's oh this is an nba offense versus you're probably facing something some variation of this at the y when you go play pickup without him yeah they i mean they it's we're talking about stuff that's two years old now but like the the nest the necessity of guys like iguodala and sean livingston is now like being felt because you know they've had their flaws but they understood like not only how to maximize Steph, but how to play off of him and get easy buckets for themselves where just like Wiggins doesn't have that feel uh, to that level. Ubre definitely doesn't have that feel to that level. And like no one else on the roster really does. So it's just like, if Steph isn't, you know, doing what he's doing, like you said, that off the offense is like a G league offense, basically with, if he's not out there. Uh, this is a quick side anecdote, but did you see the thing? I think it was on Reddit about Andrew Wiggins. I, I think they were responding to someone saying Wiggins doesn't show commitment to the game. And I would argue with just the way he's defended this year, that's not actually true. And some people just yeah. aren't, you know, they're not as like viscerally like energetic. I don't know. Like I've never mm-hmm. heard of, oh, his demeanor. He clearly doesn't care. Unless, you know, unless it's Kevin Love, you know, fan <laughs> ball, then yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he, they were using it as evidence to justify his commitment by saying he had his girlfriend. And I'm, they collect, I'm hoping they collectively decided she was going into labor and they waited to induce until after the game because he wanted to play in the game. And I would argue that unless his girlfriend insisted on that happening, 
you should not be using that as evidence of anything positive. And it's certainly not a positive <laughs> reflection of Andrew Wiggins. It would be a positive reflection of the, the mother of his child, of his girlfriend. Like, I could not believe that that was just, it was out there. I'll send you the link to it afterwards, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't understand, like, why would anyone use this as a means to prop up Andrew Wiggins? <laughs> you got to get off Reddit. I guess. I don't know. It was someone no, posted that, it yeah, from yeah, I, on Twitter, but it exists. I'm not. Okay. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit. Even on evenings and weekends, you can even see us online with telehealth options. For quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's healthier made easier. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. That's a double whammy. Um, do you want one? Do you have another uh, fact or fiction that that you've been sitting on, or should I try try hit you with one? If you have one, feel free to hit me with one. I'm a little disappointed it didn't seem to sear your soul as much. I'm happy the trade proposal at least got you thinking a little bit. Yeah, and usually I dismiss those out of hand, but no, that I, <laughs> like it's sad that that's actually a pretty that's them really. I don't know what I would do. I, I think I, I think I would probably do that. And the, yeah, the me of a few months ago would have definitely said no. Um, okay. This is a big picture one and it's just one and it seems convenient now based on how these two teams have performed over the last like week or so. But I swear I thought this, uh, I don't know, like a month ago or started coming around to this. Um, and it's sort of a, it's two of them. So you can take them in whatever order you want. One factor fiction, the Suns are the most likely West rep in the NBA finals and the bucks are the most likely East rep in the NBA finals. You are talking to the right person about the Suns if you want someone to say fact there. <laughs> you were, I have to credit you. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off and say you were in on the Suns way before I was, but I am a thousand percent in now. You, you were there first, though. I've mostly defaulted to, unless you tell me that LeBron is not going to be playing for the Lakers, they're the team that you have to go with. I am probably leaning towards fact on that being the West thing. When you look at Denver without Jamal Murray now, uh, the Clippers, like, they're kind of frisky, but they just they have these losses or these moments where it's just like, holy crap, what is going on there? I don't want to say I think the Jazz are a paper tiger, but they feel sort of a very specific archetype of player short, if that makes any sense. The I'll say fiction with the Bucks because one, that allows me to board the Nets bandwagon a little bit, and I think the Sixers are actually my pick to come out. I think they probably pose the oh, wow. the tougher defensive matchup for Brooklyn. And that's how I've been viewing the context of coming out of the East because you have Thibel, you have Green, you have Ben Simmons, who you can't stop these guys, but if there's any perimeter defender that can just delete one of them from the planet, it's him. Like, that's what he functions as a lot of the time. And then you have Joel Embiid on the back line. Will they generate enough offense is fair. The Brooklyn's defense is not going to be, you know, maybe it throws off Philly with all their switching. I, I don't know. But so I'll call fiction there. I'll say fact on the Suns. Where are you landing on that? So I, I similarly feel better and better about the Suns and, and being going fact on that. I do. I keep coming back to the Clippers because with all the other teams, like yeah, Utah, they they can only play drop coverage in the pick and roll. Teams always solve that. Like it's just they're so limited in what they do, and what makes the Jazz great and what works for them just isn't what works in the playoffs. So that easy, easy dismissal, right? The Lakers, LeBron and Davis, if they're not fully healthy can dismiss the nuggets Jokic is by himself great as he is dismiss nobody else is really serious but it's like for the clippers i find myself just kind of not having a great like logical explanation for why i don't believe in them and it's i hate being like well they collapsed once so they're you know they don't have it but like i don't know that's something and they depend on jump shots and uh, they maybe like Serge Ibaka is super important. If he's not healthy, they have to play Zubats and then you can only play drop coverage with him. So I don't know. There's, there's, there's stuff there, but, but yeah. So with the bucks, the reason I was coming around to the bucks is like, I do think that I agree. The Sixers are very well equipped to guard the nets. 
I'm much more skeptical that, that they're going to be able to score with them um, because one, like we just haven't seen, I just think Simmons is too much of a exploitable, but critical piece. Like if you have to have him out there for defense, which you do, I think the offensive stuff, it's all the same stuff we've always talked about. It's just sort of tough to make that work. And if you can put a bunch of bodies on Embiid and say like Danny Green, Seth Curry BS from three, you know, Embiid still turns it over a lot. Like there are ways there. Um, so I'm less, I, I just feel like the Bucks, Middleton, Holiday, Giannis, that's pretty solid three guys to defend. Um, and I think, I just kind of feel like the Bucks were the team that this year, they spent the year like sort of figuring out like, here's how we we should play like in a series where we have to be flexible and all that stuff because that was the big criticism that they weren't flexible and i just kind of think they seem like they have the combo that none of these other teams have of like here's our base style that we know will work against like the crappy first round teams we're gonna play but then now we can sort of do this other stuff that we couldn't before so i kind of just like the feel of and plus the continuity plus the like big time something to prove i like all the all the uh, you know the hacky uh, uh talking head aspect I, guess I feel better about the suns than i do about the bucks so um i'd probably go fact on both but i i feel better about the suns half of it for sure the clippers are interesting because i think my main knock against them would be i jump shooting teams can clearly win championships but they were just so perimeter dependent they've been about and i was looking this up while you were talking I didn't realize that since the Rondo trade, they've been about league average in the frequency with which they take their shots from the rim and their free throw attempt rate. And if they're going to hover around league average in both those categories, they might be the, I don't want to say a sleeping giant, but sort of how the Bucks have been overlooked in the East, I feel like, because of Brooklyn and Philly. They might be that powerhouse in the West that hasn't been, and maybe people writing them off because Paul George became a meme. Uh, they've dealt with injuries and then yeah. they collapsed last year. I have so I have two for you, and this is a good segue. It's Suns, it's the Suns one. Factor fiction. Devin Booker is just as important to the Suns as Chris Paul. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say fiction. I think Paul is more important. But the thing you just talked about, we were talking about the Clippers, kind of made me think about it a little bit more, which is that. So when you like the Clippers just have Kawhi and Paul George, they have two big wings that are just hard to handle. And Booker's not that obviously defensively, he's not where they are. And I mean, I guess offensively, he probably is about as good, but he's not as big as either of those guys, but you need like that kind of guy, I think to get you the bad shots and make the bad shots at the end of possessions where the good playoff defense has prevented you from getting what you're trying to get. Like the first five things you were trying to get. So he has a ton of value. He might be more valuable in the playoffs than the regular season for that reason. But I still think I think the statistical case for Paul is like pretty ironclad. Like it's just your the you know box plus minus and the you know whatever catch all um, stuff you look at. I, I know box plus minus is significantly better. The on off stuff is kind of hinky. I think Booker's actually been better if you look at cleaning glasses on off than Paul. Um, I don't know. That's not super persuasive to me. But the thing that I think Paul again we'll do like a talking head take on this but i think it matters like paul just transformed the team like i i don't think whatever whatever intangibles he brought i think have been significant and it it's it's like the leadership it's the experience it's the attitude it's that type of thing but it's also like it, we can just run pick and rolls to death and i'm gonna make 10 foot leaning jumpers from just inside the right elbow when we need one every time like i don't know that's valuable too so um i think it's paul but but I, Booker's had a great. I think Booker's actually, you know, Booker's year maybe hasn't been as good as some people think, but um, he's very valuable. Just Paul's Paul's done too much for that team. I think. See, I think I call it uh, fact. And if you took Chris Paul off this team, they're substantially worse. But if you took Devin Booker off this team, I think they're just as worse, if not more so. And hmm. I've argued this on the pod before. A lot of it comes down to he might be more valuable in the playoffs. CP3 has a good playoff resume. You know, the, the only one Western Conference Finals appearance, blip be damned. Uh, Booker having that, you know, he doesn't have the experience, but just because he is bigger and he is going to have a better time getting off, which should be tougher shots. But also, when you look this season, and I hate to, like, repeat this stat because I I had it on, I think, the last podcast 
that I recorded is while Chris Paul draws more double teams per game, the percentage of his possessions on which he draws double teams is actually higher for Devin Booker. And the Suns, are, their offense is lights out whenever it happens for either of them. They're averaging 1.19 points per possession when Booker's double teamed and 1.18 when Chris Paul's double teamed. I think when it matters most, you're going to see teams are gravitating towards Booker more because he's bigger. And they might view as some one person is going to be able to not lock down, but be more of a nuisance to, to Chris Paul than it's going to be for Booker. And I just also don't think that we appreciate how much Booker has improved. I think he's better defensively this year, and it's most noticeable off the ball. But his offense, the way he can manipulate defenses when he's going downhill, he's a really good passer. And my other thing that I keep coming back to, and I think I've really become, this has been a stronger opinion for me ever since Chris Paul was inserted to the periphery of the MVP discussion, because that's what it is. It's the race for you know, contingency consideration. Jokic is going to win it mm-hmm. and run away, as he should. Mm-hmm. Like, did the bubble not happen last year? And more to the point, did all the other moves not happen? Over the, like, Jay Crowder was a great addition for this team. Having a healthy Dario Saric as your backup five has worked for a lot of the year. I understand that Chris Paul's probably elevated DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton also has not been this, like, billboard for consistency either, and he had shown a bunch of improvement on defense last year, specifically. Moves like having Torrey Craig, I... I think they would be significantly worse because Chris Paul is just so much better than Rubio and Kelly Oubre Jr. in a vacuum. But like we, I just feel like we're looking at it too much of, oh, the Suns were bad, and now they have Chris Paul and they're good, when they clearly were at least tracking in a better direction before he ever arrived. And that was probably a big reason why he wanted to come to Phoenix in the first place. That's a good point. I don't think it's right to say that, uh, you know, Paul is responsible for, uh, you know, Booker making the improvements that he's made or, you know, whatever, whatever else entirely. Like, I mean, even like Cam Johnson and Cam Payne, like you saw flashes of, I think Payne was pretty good in the bubble. So like coming out of nowhere last year too, but like those guys just, he's a bubble hall of famer. Yeah. Those guys were just better than you thought they would be. Um, Imagine this team with Tyrese Halliburton too, by the way, if they'd gotten that right. It's Um, amazing how, this is a national podcast, and the, the Tyrese Halliburton pick has come up way too often, where it's imagine how good they would be with him. And I also feel that way about the Knicks. I know they have Emmanuel quickly, but for a team that's been on the, the hunt for like a high-end guard, point guard forever, like, why not just take Tyrese Halliburton? I'm not saying Obi Toppin's going to suck, and he's played better in recent weeks. I just, the Knicks and the Suns are the two teams I'm like, yeah, he's doing great. Halliburton's doing great on the Kings, but how do you pass him up if you're the Knicks, but also he would have gotten to learn under Chris Paul in Phoenix. That is just wild. Yeah. No, the, the other thing that's interesting about the Suns, since we're just talking about them is that uh, like I was doing some work on, I forget like maybe a a weakness of theirs uh, for something I wrote a week or so ago. And like Paul and Booker are like 96th and 95th percentile in mid range jump shot frequency. And especially like short mid rangers, which if you just picture the Suns playing, you can see Paul shooting, that shot a million times and Booker just gets a guy on his uh, backpedaling a touch and pulls up and shoots over him all the time. But like it started, it, that seems like a weakness. You shoot a lot of mid rangers, but then it's like if playoff defense's whole deal is to run you off the three point line and stay t- attached to the roll guy and they're going to concede exactly those kinds of shots. Are the Suns just going to make like 70% of their two point jumpers and just win every game by 20 points? Like they're like, they're, weirdly equipped to make all the bad the quote unquote i'm doing air quotes bad shots that playoff defenses are like conditioned to surrender because what's the alternative like you dive out at chris paul as he's shooting from 14 feet and then like eight and dunks 25 times a game like i i don't know what the fix is i mean eight has to want a dunk and that that can be iffy <laughs> yeah that's get true through. that's terrible <laughs> i think the biggest knock that's is probably point. for booker has been that he's like chris paul's been easily better in the clutch uh booker's nine of 31 in the final two minutes of one possession games that's 29 percent overall two of 10 from three i just think he becomes more valuable in those situations for the playoffs and i'm i'm totally with you on the suns if they're taking the shots defenses will probably give them that's huge they're they're good defensively like they and they can run out a bunch of different ways. I don't know how well the the shards at the five units will hold up in the playoffs, but I would say DeAndre Ayton is more likely to get played off the floor on offense than he is on defense. And they also can go to this. They've gone to it a little bit. They have like this Tory Craig, Jay Crowder front court that they can just run out because you have these other bigger wings too with Mikael Bridges, fantastic by the way, and Cam Johnson. So they can go that route as well. I think they're people are harping to me too much on the. 
well, no one aside from Crowder and Paul really has postseason experience. I do think that matters, but I think it's become like too heavy of a talking point. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think, yeah, I don't know. We're both, we're just, can this be the Suns bandwagon podcast? Is that, have you, hoping- have you looked into getting branded? Well, so the Timeline podcast, which is the Suns podcast under the Blue Wire umbrella as well, uh, I had the two hosts on when I did Phoenix's outlook for the season, and I was higher on the Suns than them. And so on their podcast specifically, I've been branded as the National Suns homer. So that you're on the right podcast Good for, you. for that. Uh, Terrific. This is the other one that I have for you. Fact or fiction, Denver without Jamal Murray is more likely to come out of the West than the Utah Jazz. Oh, that's a good one, Dan. Uh, what did they go like nine and one in the first ten games Murray missed, or something like that? I think they're ten and two or ten and three overall. Okay, so in the in the ballpark, um, I think that's got to be fiction. Um, as much as great as Jokic is, uh, I do think, and we did we have kind of shit on the Jazz like indirectly. Um, <laughs> only really said bad things about them so far, but like, that's still a really good team that, that I think actually, can I cop out and like, look at the matchups to just see what the, what the, who knows what they're going to be. Yeah. I don't know. So you're looking at if the three, six happened right now, it's Denver Lakers. I'd be a little worried about that if I were the nuggets. Um, and then the jazz are going to get probably the warriors or blazers. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just, I think the jazz, I think the jazz, could be a conference finalist which is like pretty low praise for uh, the top seed and like the best team all year by a lot of metrics um i just don't see denver as having that ceiling um assuming you can sort of make Jokic like you know 20 percent less effective than regular season i just is unless michael porter jr is going to average like 38 points a, se- a game for a full series um I just feel like they're going to be at a major talent disadvantage against almost anybody they play. I'm in agreement with you, but I think it's after watching the Nuggets, I think it's closer just because how good Jokic is to where they're. I'm yeah. I'm so inclined to be like, oh, of the five contenders in the West, they have to be fifth now without Jamal Murray. And I do think they'll miss the element of what he brings in postseason crunch time just because Michael Porter Jr. isn't used to creating for himself that much. They're also dealing with, a crap ton of other injuries. Monte Morris, Will Barton, PJ Dozier is going to be out a while. They're playing Austin Rivers and Shaq. Har- like they need Shaq Harrison and Austin Rivers right now, which is always a problem. So I default to that. Do you have others or do you want me to keep rattling them off for you? Um, I have a quick one since we already sort of hit the Blazers. Uh, Factor fiction. Terry Stotts is the main problem in Portland and firing him will make the Blazers better. I'm going to say fiction. I know people talk about he hasn't been inventive enough defensively, but the numbers with Yusuf Nurkic on the floor have been fine. They they're above average on defense when Nurkic plays, and without Nurkic, like what are, else are you supposed to have done? Is it because he's you know relegated Derek Jones Jr. to out of the rotation and Melo's still in it? Melo's been good on offense this year. The uh, opinions are always going to be split on him, but you can average he can score and he's shooting a a good clip from three. I understand why you would play him. So I feel like this, and I was higher on their defense coming into the season. I thought the Roco pickup was going to end up being huge and having DJJ, I thought that was going to be huge too. Mm -hmm. I just, looking back, it's like they don't really have that individual defender. I think if you would have inserted Aaron Gordon here as opposed to Roco or even DJ, like if you had Roco and Aaron Gordon and this defense was shitty, I get it. But, like, Aaron Gordon, even though he's not the best one-on-one defender, he gives you more juice there than I think Robert Covington does, who he's a little bit slighter, and I think he's just more disruptive as a team defender. And that's not yeah, – he's a he's a great defender. I don't think they have that linchpin aside from Nurkic, and when he's going to miss as much time as he has, like, what else were you supposed to do? And I, I know they're kind of at the point where it's you have to change the coach. What else are you supposed to change? So I get that. What coach is coming in here and immediately improving their defense? Yeah, so I just think it's it's a personnel thing. You know, Nurkic has been fine, but basically any other center they play, the defense kind of just doesn't work. Cantor obviously is is a prime example. Um, I just was thinking like the coaches you've heard rumored, you know, their retread options like Dave Yeager, who I think is a good coach, but has just run into personality clashes kind of too often for it to be uh, an anomaly. 
Um, or like, I think I saw uh, Brent Barry, who's a, in the Spurs front office, is another uh, candidate. And like, I love I love me some Brent Barry. Like, as a very very skinny white shooting guard as a young as a kid, like Brent Barry was kind of right up my alley. He was he was a figure I idolized. But uh, I mean, like, he's got the defensive fix. And again, like you said, the personnel sort of seems like it should work. They got two defensive minded forwards like it was Harkless and Aminu all over again but like seemingly better and it didn't work so yeah I I, I don't think a change is gonna a change of the, of the head coach is gonna meaningfully alter what the Blazers can do with the personnel they have I also think they've been like top 10 or top 12 in defense since Nurkic's return I'll have to double check that but like their defense has not been completely incapable there might just be I think there's a talent deficit after Dame and CJ McCollum for the rest of the roster relative to these teams that they do have to go up against. I have this one is, I think it's tough. Fact or fiction, the two teams that will come out of the East play-in tournament are, it'll either be Miami or Boston, because I have no idea which one of them is going to make it, and then Washington. So I read something before I, I'm going to I'm gonna be wishy-washy for a second. I, I've read some stuff about Charlotte that's very encouraging for its playoff fate like that it might be able to punch above its weight a little bit um got some switchable personnel they shoot a lot of threes terry rogier can do some cool stuff at the end of games like there's just sort of a decent this team might be a little better in the playoffs than the regular season thing happening with them um but the wizards are just like they're just so hot and they have they're gonna have the best player in the play-in game that they play i mean Maybe even if they play Miami, like I mean, I don't. Or some have that, that shakes out that way because they'll have Beal and Westbrook. I sort of undeniable that he's been good lately. You know, I've always I think we both have probably been dismissive of the counting stats. You know, that he puts up for a while as not being totally indicative of how helpful he is. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's fact. I think for sure Miami, Boston, whichever of those is seven. Um, but I think Washington's got the momentum and I think they have the talent and like, I don't know if Westbrook's just going to keep doing this and Beal's going to get you 30. Like, yeah, I think they're better than the Pacers. I think they're better. And the Pacers are coming unglued. We've talked about that. So I, I think I'm kind of into that. Yeah. It's a fact for me as well. I, f- I think the Miami, if they're in the play in is a given to me, just, I would expect them to beat the Hornets in a, in the first game, even though they, their offense has been not so great this year. I think I'm buying into Washington now, and it's more so the fact that they've had a top 10 defense while they've been going on this current tear. And Seth Part now for The Athletic wrote about this. They were really unlucky on opponent three-point shooting at the start of the year, and that's kind of started to normalize. So it's like teams are over the stretch are shooting slightly below 36% on above-the-break threes now. That's not, first of all, that's not unsustainably low, and it's sort of a trade-off or it's, just correcting when teams were shooting like 40% against them above the break in the beginning of the year. And the other thing is their rim protection has been better, which also kind of makes sense because of how Daniel Gaffer has been playing. And now instead of having Mo Wagner as like the primary big, instead of Robin Lopez, there's also there's Daniel Gafford. So, and Alex Lynn for that matter, who's been pretty good for them. And what I keep coming back to is unless you are playing the heat, not only do you have the best player, of who you're going up against, but you probably have the two best players of the other three teams in the play-in tournament, right? If you're looking at Indiana yeah. and Charlotte as, as the other two teams, excuse me, because I think Butler's probably the best player of the four right now, but of Charlotte, Indiana, and Washington, Beal and Westbrook are probably the top two players from that three, from those three teams, right? Yeah, I think so. The only pushback I'd give is that I've just always been reluctant to give Westbrook full credit but yeah i mean like of is he's better than sabonis i think he's better than you know whatever else you whoever, whoever else you'd list for the pacers and the the hornets are just kind of a bunch of guys i mean there's not like a top line star a hayward i guess but i i mean you don't really know what you're going to get there um yeah i think that's interesting uh i do think too i was writing about this the other day the wizards potentially getting the nets in the first round um as the 8-1 matchup uh, would be a lot of fun because Russ might just like literally explode with competitive rage trying to beat Durant and Harden and just beat, you know, knock off this giant. I think that would be one of my most anticipated series if we ever, if we could get it. I think we might need Washington to like, can, can they get to seven? That's not even possible unless they get to the top eight, right? Yeah. So 
I think it might need to be the 270 yeah. because Brooklyn's three losses behind the Sixers for first place. Yeah, and we're at the point now where that matters. Like I had been dismissive of the of like those top three teams and the how many games back anybody was, but then the end of the season really snuck up on me. So I think those deficits actually kind of matter now. Um, I have a quick one that's sort of related to that for you, unless you have another one that you've thought harder about. No, I'm ready. All right. On, fact or fiction, only one of the Nets, Sixers, Bucks, the trifecta will appear in the Eastern Conference Finals, which means that two of those get eliminated prior to the Conference Finals. Oof, I'm going to say fiction. just And you must feel that it's going to be Philly and Brooklyn because you have the Bucks coming out of the East. If you think that's going to happen. I just They're not going to face a real threat in the first round. Is anybody, I guess whoever gets Miami... Is that the or oh Boston too? I'm discounting, but right now Milwaukee would be matching up with Boston, so it it would really depend on matchups. I guess there are some mine like there's a some minefields here because of Boston and Miami being there. But Boston is just you don't know unless Kemba's going to be Kemba, you don't know who their third best player is going to be on a night to night basis on offense, and that's a problem. I Miami, I do we trust their up? Maybe they'll have that sort of postseason bump like they did last year in the bubble. I'm going to say fiction. I think we get two of those teams in the Eastern Conference Finals. But if you're predicting like it's a, fiction. Knicks, a Knicks, you know, Sixers or Knicks Bucks Conference Finals, I'm totally here for it. It's it's fiction. It would have been a better like is there a 30% chance or like or you know, 25%. And it's just based on my overarching uh thing with this season, which is that the regular season is like worthless in terms of predictive value. And so I would just almost treat going into the playoffs with like some exceptions as if this were the beginning of the regular season and you're asking me to pick like conference finalists, I think Miami and Boston would both be like much facilities. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, the standings would have to kind of get a little wonky for this to even be possible. But I just think Boston and Miami are much more dangerous than the regular season play shows. And I think it's possible that the, the Sixers and really all three of those, the, the Sixers, Bucks, and Nets are less dangerous than the regular season shows. So I think they're all actually closer than and than the standings would indicate in terms of like their playoff, uh, I don't know, ceilings or their what they could do. So that's just kind of the basis for that. But yeah, I, I think it's fiction too. Those those three teams uh, at the top are uh, have a lot fewer question marks than anybody else in that conference. I think I have a good one for you. Fact or fiction, Kristaps Porzingis is not on the Dallas Mavericks to start next season. So you're saying they're going to trade him for what? Uh, Cap space. No, I'm just I kidding. Think, yeah. <laughs> to go get that second star they need. Um, I'm going to say fiction, but I really like where this question is coming from because I was just say, we haven't mentioned Mavericks like once this whole time. And I think it's because we maybe just, I don't think view them as like a real serious Oh, I was just going to say, I think they're 1 to 1.5 players away from a title right now, which is why we're just not mentioning them. And there's the level of, I guess if it looked like Kristaps was going to have it's, a good series against the Clippers, but then he was injured last year, so if he gives meaningful contributions and stays healthy now, maybe that changes the trajectory. But I think we have enough evidence, just given what they still need, that he's not, he could be on this team and be one of the three or four best players. I don't know if he could be that number two. My main issue with saying fact here, my reticence would be, well, who's trading for Kristaps Porzingis right now? I just, you know, Charlotte would be interesting, but what are you giving Dallas to make that what they like? You know, Terry Rozier and what? Are they going to be interested in that? Is Dallas going to be interested in that? There's, you run into, I can't think of obvious suitors for, for KP. Uh, yeah, I think he, he feels. I I think it's I think it's fiction because I think Dallas would like to get that third guy in free agency and sort of see what it looks like with Porzingis maybe like as a two A and two B situation or even third if they got like I don't know if if they got Kyle Lowry or something like that. Um, but Porzingis is the type of guy that you know how like how Miles Turner comes up all the time of like you know who'd really fit well on this team. It's like the guy who's. Defend, I mean, Turner's a different level of defender than than Porzingis is. Um, but, like, the big guy that stretches and can block shots, like, I think Porzingis' market is pretty vast. But, but yeah, like, it's a different salary bracket than Turner. But I think it won't be hard to trade him as long as he's, like, semi-healthy. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen 
unless next year is disappointing and like he's part of it. That would that would be my guess. Although I don't know how much longer his contract runs. I didn't pull that up while you were talking. He's, but he's three years um, on it after this one. Okay, yeah. So that's that's plausible that after next year, if they don't like how it's going, that he could move in. But I think he'll be on the roster to start this coming season. I have two very quick ones for you. Fact or fiction? The Toronto Raptors will be one of the the top three contenders in the Eastern Conference if Kyle Lowry returns next season. I think that is fiction. Um, I love you know I love Kyle Lowry, um, and I like I think Siakam and Ananobi and Van Fleet. That's like those four guys, pretty darn good. I don't know if the next year, one year older version of Lowry, um, without more help. Uh, on that roster gets them up to the level of the Brooklyn's and, and, and Phillies and, and Milwaukee's. Do you think, I mean, was that fact or fiction for you? It'd be a fact for me. And you kind of outlined it because they've actually destroyed people in the minutes. Those four have played together. You'll probably bring Gary Trent jr. Back and they've had, they just haven't played their best players together this season. Part of that has been injuries and COVID. And then over the post trade deadline, or maybe a little bit after that, it's been on purpose. It feels like basically, they they also now it doesn't look like I picked them to get yeah. into the plane and win it a few weeks ago, which was clearly stupid. They're gonna have a lottery pick now. What if you know if they jump into the top four, it should be over. I guess the real factor fiction would be will Kyle Lowry be back? And I hope that their decision not to move him at the trade deadline implies more of a commitment to keeping him because I think that there's still something like you're not in a position to necessarily rebuild. You have Van Fleet, you have Siakam, you have Ananobi. You're about to pay Gary Trent Jr. You can be really good. And so I think if he stays, they'll be in the top three. And I'm hoping he does stay because I like, I like Kyle Lowry on the Raptors. But I guess the real factor of fiction is, will Kyle Lowry still be in Toronto? I just, I don't know. The teams that they were dealing with to trade, the Lakers and Sixers don't have cap space. The Heat will, and there can always be sign in trades. I still think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world that people thought the, the Raptors passed on this incredible offer from the Lakers because of, of Tucker and... Um, you know, Dennis Schroeder, it's like, I mean, you're going to have to pay Dennis. And then Talon Horton Tucker's this nice mystery box who you also have to pay at the end of the season. I don't think you missed yeah. out on anything that the Lakers were offering you. Yeah, I think, I think it's probably fiction that Lowry will be back. I hope that's wrong. But the only reason I feel that way is it does seem like they were open to the possibility of trading him at the deadline. Um, and like, yeah, they could have just signed him in free agency after that, but he seemed to be negotiating his next deal with whoever he was going to sign with. So I think if they were open to moving him, which seems true, and he was looking to sign a new deal basically ahead of time with wherever he went, which seems true, it, 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 I don't know, it augurs towards him not coming back, but I think they, theoretically, they could be, they could be very good without him. Um, I just, yeah, it would be, it would be gratifying if that, I love that core so much. I did the same thing. I kept picking them to make the play in like against all evidence that they were not trying to win every game. Um, but, but I, I'm with you now. I think, I think, uh, the lottery pick could make a difference and, and, and that's probably worth more to them at this point than like just giving a top seed a run in the first round. My last one, because I know you have to get out of here. Fact or fiction, the Chicago Bulls are screwed unless they jump into the top four of the draft. Well, they lose the pick, right? Yeah, uh, top four protected unless they jump into the top four. How about just take off the second half of that fact or fiction, the Chicago Bulls are screwed. Um, I, I, I like fact, um, big fact. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I feel like I've been too harsh on them writing about them, but like, I just think you sort of gave away two first rounders for like the ceiling that the magic used to have, which is like overly simplistic and harsh, but it's like Vucevic puts a cap on what you can do. Um, the, he's like, that's just, that's just how it is. And Zach Levine, I think as great as, as much better as he's been this year, I still think that he's. Like the empty calories are still there, um, and they're com- those are the cornerstones. And like maybe Patrick Williams becomes like a guy that offsets some of their defensive weakness. Yeah, like I just I hate how that team is built now. And both of Vucevic and Levine, their contracts are not ridiculous at all. Like they're reasonably paid and movable. And but you got to think about Levine's next deal. Um, yeah, they're screwed. I, I think. I mean, if those picks if those picks convey, like oh my god, like that's just 
it's that's brutal. They're in they're in a tough spot. Conversely, they could be in a good one if the pick doesn't convey because it means that you've they have like a thirty as of now would be like a thirty one point nine percent chance of getting a a top four pick. Which if you add that to having Vooch and Levine, Patrick Williams, Kobe White, keep Thaddeus Young around, that gets interesting really quickly. The other thing is, um, unless I'm reading this wrong, the expiration after this year is just gone. Like they don't have this doesn't defer if it doesn't convey. It's just top four, and if they keep it, they also owe their top four protected pick in 2023. There's like no deferrals listed, and I'm looking at the real GM pick commitments. So you win in a number of ways. There's a chance that missing the plan, which they're obviously going to do, ends up helping them. But it's now this very precarious position, more so than before, where you acquired Vooch because you thought you were going to be one of those play-in teams. You're not. And that's, look, the Zach Levine having to go in the least health and safety protocols, that's that's not something you could have predicted. It's something you could have planned around, I'm sure, by not making this trade. Like, where do you go from here? Now you've obliterated most of your cap space, unless you want to get rid of Thad and Sadaransky, who have those partially guaranteed deals. I don't think Levine signs an extension because he's capped at a 20% raise. And that's like a difference of based off 30% of the cap in 2022, it's yeah. a difference of like $10 million a year. And now you don't, maybe you will. Do you have the cap space to renegotiate and extend him to max him out immediately starting next season? If you don't do that, I'm not saying Levine doesn't want to be in Chicago, but if you go through next year, don't make the playoffs or just get annihilated in the first round or the play-in or whatever happens, he has to start looking at other places. So there was always a risk involved here. It just feels much worse and and to the point that we're not even talking about it enough, now that they're not going to make the play-in, and I feel like they have a lot more at stake in the draft lottery than has really been discussed right now. Unless they have sort of, sort of airtight commitment behind the scenes from him, which I think you have to know he at least is open to staying. Otherwise, why make this trade? You can't, this isn't Kevin Durant. You don't go all in to make sure that you keep Zach Levine in, in 2022. You know, if he said, oh, I might leave, you you don't make this trade. Right, I agree. I I think they they've they've got two players that they've sort of are treating like cornerstones that I think are just like not the cornerstones of the, the type of team that you should be aspiring to be. Um, so yeah, that's the, I I yeah I, they're screwed uh, for lots of reasons. I think um, I have a, I have a quick one for you to to go out on, um, which is and it's really dumb, but I just want to see what your reaction is if you don't have a if you don't have a good one for me. I am. I'm fresh out of good ones. I'm not sure I had a good one to begin with, but now I'm fresh out of the ones I thought were good. Oh, you had, you, you had great ones. Uh, so this would be better as an over-under, and the number should be like 1.5, um, but I'll have to do factor fiction for it. Factor fiction, Kevin Porter Jr. will make at least two All-Star games during his career. I'm just going to say fiction. I don't... Is he, does he have the license to fire away that he has right now on a better version of any team? And obviously the Rockets being chief among them. Like, I, I just wanted to talk about Kevin Porter Jr. Cause he's one of my favorite, like late season <laughs> stories right now. Um, just cause of all the Cavs stuff. And then he's, he got 50 at age 20 and the guys that have done that, I'm sure you've seen LeBron did it twice. Uh, Brandon Jennings and Devin Booker. So Devin Booker made two all-star games. LeBron made a million. Uh, Brandon Jennings did not make an all-star game and was out of the league, had a torn Achilles, but was out of the league before he turned 30. So you got a real broad spectrum of what happens to guys that can score 50 when they're 20. Uh, so that's kind of fun. But yeah, the, the, as, a, as a long-suffering Warriors fan who lived through just that, I can remember when Tony Delk scored 50 points. And I can remember like getting excited about Vontigo Cummings, like having 19 points or just like when you're a fan of a really bad team, uh, which the Rockets very much are, you see some weird stuff and you think it means something and it never means anything. I'm not saying that's Kevin Porter because um, he's clearly talented, but like that's a wild thing that Kevin, we're talking a lot about Kevin Porter Jr. at the end of a season that has been super weird. And I'm just here for it. I'm enjoying like all of the craziness of, of of that whole situation i just like he's sub 32 percent on three sub 30 percent oh on yeah pull-ups. there's like that you know this isn't quite rookie of the year mike no not, i'm not even gonna say that because that's so rude i just don't know for him to make an all-star team there has to be a year where he's the best player on like a bulls level team looking at levine i just i don't know if he gets to that point i would be 
I'd be astounded if he gets there. I thought you were going to say that he'll never touch 50 points again, which is actually, I bet you he will get another. I don't know, man. We talked too much about Kevin Porter Jr. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with it. Thank you for coming on. Guys, follow Grant on Twitter if you have not already, at GT underscore Hughes. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast if you have not already. I hope that this audio is coming out of both your your earphones, too, as well. Um, until next time, leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, future all-star, all-NBA, runaway MVP, in honor of Grant Hughes, Kevin Porter Jr., Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.